So these morning sessions will be about uh, the practice of meditation itself. Um, we'll be focusing on different aspects of uh, not only son or Zen meditation, but the broader uh, understanding of what it means to meditate at all. I think in some quite important way, meditation is not something foreign to us. It's not some exotic technique that was invented in Asia or maybe in Christian monasteries in the Egyptian desert. But meditation is something very central to the lives of all human beings. It's that innermost capacity we have uh, to, to think for ourselves, uh, to be conscious and to be aware of what's going on inside our own life that might be quite invisible to others. We're all, we are, I think, in a way, uh, meditative beings. So rather than think of meditation as something new uh, that we have to import and to develop, we could look at it another way. We could think rather that these uh, techniques, these exercises that we'll be talking about here are actually just advices or uh, experiments in how we might enhance or improve our own meditative being, our own capacity to become self-aware, to become more conscious, more present, to become more puzzled and intrigued about being alive. We know that this consciousness that we are currently enjoying came about or started at our birth, evolved through our childhood and our adolescence, came to a certain maturity as adults, is with us now. But at one point in the future, whether that's next week or in 30 years' time, we don't know, it will stop. This consciousness will, as far as we know, no longer continue. So, at the core of this consciousness lies a capacity to be more contemplative, to be more reflective, to be more aware of what's going on. And this, I think, is very much a, an enrichment of the consciousness with which we're born, the consciousness that one day will fade out as we die. The practices we're doing are in many ways a preparation for death, not in the sense that it will give us some advantage in a hypothetical afterlife, but rather 
utilizing our awareness of our mortality to provide each moment with a greater sense of intensity, of urgency perhaps, but also of sheer wonder. Uh, the preciousness of how in this extraordinarily complex organism that has evolved over millions and millions of years, we have this capacity to be self-aware, to be conscious of what's going on within and without us. In all traditions, Buddhist, Christian, whatever, we find the idea of meditation is very tied to the idea of solitude. Meditative moments, whether we consider ourselves as formal meditators or simply as contemplative or reflective beings, is most present to us when we are alone with ourselves. Um, that might be in the midst of a crowd or a busy meeting or it might be when we retreat to a place like this um, or we go to the top of a mountain by ourselves. And as we settle into this retreat I think it's useful just to spend a few moments thinking about what it means uh, to be solitary. I mentioned last night that we can think of solitude in two ways. The rather simple and obvious way is that of removing ourselves physically from our everyday lives and coming to a place like this. But once the novelty wears off, once we get used to the routines of being at Gaia House, we'll find that our habits of mind uh, very quickly reassert themselves. And although we might be sitting in South Devon with our eyes closed in a quiet room, we're actually spending a great amount of that time where we came from. No matter how much we yearn to be still and silent and focused and alert, we easily find ourselves overwhelmed by thoughts and emotions and memories and worries about the future that uh, invade and somehow overwhelm us. And it can be enormously frustrating at times uh, to cope with this incessant uh, interruption that our own minds are generating. This is particularly puzzling for those of us who are familiar with meditation, who have been on retreats, who consciously value these kinds of practices, to nonetheless keep finding that our minds have a mind of their own. At this 
in these moments, we must be careful not to give in to a kind of frustration or even rage at ourselves. But simply to notice that this is how we're reacting, that this is what is going on, to accept that there is no magical off switch that can just shut the mind up. That part of this experience of solitude allows us to be that much more aware of what goes on in our thoughts and in our feelings and in our mind. And that awareness, the awareness of this uh, disturbance, this distraction, this grogginess, that awareness is the awareness of the meditative mind, the contemplative mind. I think it's useful to, uh, to let go of whatever images or ideals you have about meditation, even experiences that you yourself have had in the past. You came on a retreat here, let's say, a year ago, and you had a wonderful time. You got very still, you got very uh, focused, uh, you learned some deep truths about yourself and life. And so you come rushing back to Gaia House, hoping that this is all going to repeat itself. Or better still, be even better than last year. <coughs> but that is another idea that is basically just getting in the way. It might provide us with some useful inspiration, but it won't be particularly helpful in dealing with what our minds are coming up with now. That's where our practice is taking place. The, this contemplative, meditative uh, practice is about working with the situation we find ourselves in at this moment. It doesn't help to compare favourably or unfavorably what we're experiencing now with what we might have experienced once in the past. That's gone. We've learned that lesson. The challenge now is to be able to work with whatever is going on. And inevitably, this will reveal aspects of our life that are not taking place at Gaia House, that are going on in London or Amsterdam or wherever it is we live. Yet it won't leave us alone. So the deeper meaning of solitude um, has to do with an inner solitude. To, be, to, to find a place where we can be alone and not constantly taken away or taken over by the rush of thoughts and feelings that uh, engage us. 
In the same way that we take our body from London and put it in Devon, when we get to Devon and sit here in Gaia House, we can take our contemplative mind and withdraw it, as it were, from the hurly-burly of all the other stuff that's going on inside us. The Buddha called this uh, citta viveka, which means uh, mental or we might say spiritual solitude, as opposed to kaya viveka, which means physical or bodily solitude. So we create, as it were, a retreat house within a retreat house that our our, our task in many ways in a retreat like this is to cultivate and create to carve out an inner space within ourselves in which we are able to be um, alone able to be focused without being constantly interrupted and without constantly uh, leeching out into our past, into our future, into the lives we lead elsewhere. Such solitude, such inner solitude, um, is about cultivating self-sufficiency becoming more autonomous and independent in our thoughts, in our feelings. Uh, Being more and more able to simply accept, to be able to say, yes, this is what is going on. Whether it's pleasant, whether it's unpleasant, doesn't really matter. That we can create here a space in which uh, we're free uh, to be fully conscious and present and alert and aware. And over the course of this week we'll be uh, offering a number of uh, suggestions as to how we can further Uh, evolve and develop this uh, inner solitude, this space within ourselves. And the purpose being not that um, Gaia House or or a retreat centre is um, the only place we can do this, but it's this this uh, innerness, this inwardness, this uh, Uh, self-sufficiency inside ourselves that we bring back into our world. We must be very careful, and I'm sure some of you are probably uh, thinking this already, not to feel that this kind of solitude is something to do with cutting ourselves off from life. Uh, sort of withdrawing and retreating so that we find a peace and quiet um, that enables us to 
in a way, relinquish any deep sense of responsibility for, for others, for example. Paradoxically, perhaps, the more deeply you uh, allow yourself to settle into your inner solitude, uh, the more that you can open yourself up to the presence of others. In fact, in a strange way, uh, the more deeply you look into yourself, you will find more and more that the rest of the world is looking back at you. That you discover not only yourself, but also the humanity that you share with everyone else in such solitude. Again, this is a, an observation that's been made many times by people from all kinds of religious traditions and philosophical traditions that this withdrawal is not about uh, uh, severing our connections with the world, but actually it's about uh, learning to more fully appreciate and cherish and value the connections we have with the world. This is probably a theme that I'll come back to as we continue. On a more practical note, uh, I would suggest that on our first day during this retreat, that we focus on a practice that we have found to be helpful in getting our mind to be more still. I'm not going to prescribe something for all of us to do because I'm aware that most of you, um, in fact all of you I think, have experience in meditation so you know best really what works. If you find that what Martine and I offer can support that then that's great. If not, then you can just let it go. In my own case, I find that what has helped most in bringing my mind to a greater stillness uh, and quiet is by attending to the breathing, to the breath. Or really, in fact, giving more attention to the body rather than letting ourselves get carried away by what's going on in the mind. In some senses, to enter into a meditative state, because it's not something foreign to us, it's something, as I've said, that is already very much and quite deeply a part of who we are. It requires just a fairly gentle nudge or shift away from our absorption in what we're thinking and back towards a consciousness of our bodies. The breath is just one way in which we can become conscious of our bodies. When we're doing walking meditation in this room, we'll also 
be very much aware of what it's like to be walking and moving. Um, and that's something I'll say a little bit more about when we uh, start doing that. But when we're sitting still on the cushion, it's really, I feel, about shifting the emphasis away from the mind back to the body. We don't have to become obsessed about the, uh, you know, the, the details of the physical process of breathing. We don't have to worry too much about that. But it's helpful, I found, to just allow my attention to come to rest more and more on the natural rhythm of breathing itself. And remember, we don't, we, we can't actually see the breath. Uh, all we can do is feel uh, the sensations that are associated with breathing. So this includes the sensations of air entering into the nostrils, the expansion of the lungs and the diaphragm, the pause, and then the exhalation of warmer air, once again through the nostrils. Another pause, and then the intake of another breath. And we do this without trying to control the breathing. Um, this is not pranayama, which is a yoga exercise. This is simply about um, readjusting our consciousness from one that is primarily locked into thoughts into one that is primarily attentive uh, to our physical embodiment and in specifically through the breath. But as I've said, the breath is not something you actually can see. <clears throat> You become conscious of the breath through the rhythm of physical sensations that accompanies it. And this rhythm is in a way a bit like a tide. It comes in, it goes out, it comes in, it goes out. The breath is, as it were, the tidal rhythm of our own existence particularly our bodily existence. And as we pay more and more attention to the breathing, we also realize that it's not something that is, in a very, meaningfully, in a very meaningful sense, mine. Of course, it's yours and the fact that my breath is not Martine's breath, but effectively we are paying attention, we are bearing witness to our um, immersion in the world of life itself. The breath is coming to us from the atmosphere, uh, the oxygen and so forth in the air, and it's being internalized into our lungs, which then allows the oxygen to enter into the bloodstream, and the bloodstream is then able to keep the brain firing. That's basically what's going on. 
And we begin to realize that our very consciousness, that which is perhaps the thing which is most intimate to us, is entirely contingent on our ability to breathe. If we push it a little bit further, the oxygen in the air is only uh, there because of the photosynthesis of plants. Trees and grasses and flowers and all the stuff around us in the garden. If that weren't happening, there'd be no oxygen. And if the oxygen happening, we wouldn't be breathing. And if we weren't breathing, we wouldn't be conscious and we wouldn't be alive. So it's useful at times, I think, to step outside of the the self-enclosed privacy of our bodies to recognise how much each breath is a breath that is made possible by the kind of biosphere, the kind of natural world in which we are profoundly interconnected. But again, especially on the first day, the, the beginning of a retreat, these kinds of ideas can be all very interesting, but they too can take us away from the, the deeper need to stabilize our attention, to come to rest, to come to dwell in that rhythm of life itself. So today, let's use the breath, or if we have other practices that work better for us, to use these uh, to, to, to bring us back again and again and again to our sitting and walking in this room. To notice what the mind throws up, to be aware of the things that are still preoccupying us, not to, in a sense, get frustrated or annoyed with that, but to have the spaciousness of attention in which we can say, yes, that's going on too. And that's okay. That's just what the conditions of my life are throwing up at this moment. There's nothing much I can really do about it, I'm not choosing to have these distracted fantasies. They are happening to me. But I do have the freedom to, to decide not to go along with them. I do have the freedom to say yes, but I prefer to stay with my breath. I prefer to stay in my body. I prefer to be aware of what it's like to be walking around this room. We have a choice. We can exercise or that choice or not. That's entirely up to us. But it is a choice we can make. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.